everybody. Welcome to So It's a Show. We're introducing it a little differently this week ooh. because, yeah, ooh, there's a bonus episode coming your way. What, what? In, yeah, I know. Bonus. Woo. So <laughs> in this episode, in our discussion of Ishtar, we mentioned that there is a documentary about Ishtar called Waiting for Ishtar. And awesome sauce, we got to talk to the director. What? Yeah. So cool. Cool interview time. But when we recorded our discussion of Ishtar, we did not know that we were going to get to talk to him. We had reached out to him, and we did not know if he was going to say yay or nay. And we did end up talking to him. So that's why in this conversation, we don't mention our interview with him. But here's a little preview, and uh, then we'll get into the episode. And then watch your refresher podcast feeds the following week. So that you can listen to our full interview with him, which is insightful and fun and just wonderful because, you know, it's talking and it's us. <laughs> Wait, that is way too prideful. X nay. So just refresh your podcast feeds. So with the documentary, it was actually a conversation about guilty pleasures, if you if you saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, talking about things you're not supposed to like. And Ishtar is certainly something you're not supposed to like. Well, and you mm-hmm. said here that it something touched you. And I saw in one of your one of the movie previews that I watched that you put out that it moved mm-hmm. you. In what way did it move you? I don't. Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I think. Yeah, maybe move is a very strong word. It it uh, it spoke to me on a on a certain level. Um, the style of comedy, the writing, uh, also at around that time, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do creatively, uh, and writing something and uh, writing something sort of personal was really interesting to me. So, as as you saw the documentary, I formed a duo with a friend of mine, and um, it was. The way that you could write a song that wasn't overtly funny, what you were laughing at is the process. Mm-hmm. The way that they're kind of bouncing the lyrics back and forth and trying to kind of come up and getting on these strange metaphors and trying to kind of figure out how to write the song, <laughs> even though the song's like clearly not going to be a hit. They're so committed to it. We're going to start this podcast just like star starts first people are only gonna see our logo much like you only saw the names warren Beatty, isabella ajnajni and dustin hoffman and then you hear Let's try this for real this time. And this time we're going to say, um, <clears throat> hosting a podcast is dangerous business. <laughs> Taylor singing and recording don't go hand in hand. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> Woo! I'm not and and you're with great singers and songwriters and great podcasters. 
And, I mean, what can't you accomplish with a piano and your true enthusiasm? <laughs> oh, my gosh. This movie proves there's a lot that you cannot accomplish with that. <laughs> you mean that being a terrible songwriter doesn't make you a good CIA agent? No, it also doesn't make you a good subject for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Is a dangerous thing. Dangerous. Telling the truth can be dangerous. What? Danger. Telling the truth can be dangerous. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Why? 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 Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Because if yourself, because you don't know why. Huh? Well, I'm just giving you what the idea is. Telling the truth can be dangerous business. If you don't know yourself, then you don't know why. Oh, is that brilliant? Telling the truth can be dangerous business. Honest and popular don't go hand in hand. I just want you to know, I taught this to myself on the piano about 20 minutes ago. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. that's i haven't played piano since the ninth grade but i love it i did Um, sound that one out by ear that's amazing thank you for that should tell you (laughs) the talents of oh gosh what are their names chuck and lyle rogers and clark the wannabe simon and garfunkel oh right that's their names (laughs) They're pretty, I mean, TBH, they're pretty forgettable. Um, I'm going to leave that app open on my iPad, just in case we need it again. Thank Um, you. Yeah, just in case. But So, have we started the episode? Yeah, that was my intro. Uh, Well, I love it. I texted you and I said, (laughs) I have a great idea for the intro. That was it. I was not expecting that, but that was... That was just beautiful. Well, Thank I, you, Taylor. I told you I had a surprise, and I told you not to get your hopes up. So I hope <laughs> everything I said lived up to that. Oh, it did. Um, Can we sing that song together now? Because those lyrics are perfect. Uh, the ones that I just riffed on to make a parody? Yes. Okay. So I think I said... <laughs> I'm ready. What did I say? I think I said... Hey, I know the words. If you want to do the piano, I'll do the words. Oh, okay, great. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. Recording a podcast is dangerous business. Singing and us don't go hand in hand. Yay! <laughs> Woo! We not promise to sing on this podcast because we break that promise every episode. Woo! Literally every episode I think we have done terrible singing. Probably except for our first one, which makes sense because we were just trying to keep it together. Yeah, we were trying to make a good impression and now it's episode 18 and it's out the window. Whatever, out the window. (laughs) I know, we can legally buy a lottery ticket now. How great is that? Oh my goodness, let's go smoke a cigarette. Mmm, mmm. Or let's not kill ourselves, I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> Clearly, <laughs> Kyla and I are big smokers and gamblers. We are huge. We're the biggest smokers. Like, I've got the biggest lighter you've ever seen. <laughs> Although I was smoking a pipe two episodes ago. So <laughs> anything can happen. <clears throat> yeah. Mm, that was convincing. Hey, hey so you want to, I don't know, introduce the podcast real quick? <laughs> oh, well, welcome to uh, Count Neru and Blake. I always try and say your last name with a little flair, and I don't think it ever works. Uh, much it's like uh, Clark and Rogers, we are a podcasting duo. And I like to think we actually have some talent and self-awareness, but you can be Me the judge too. of that and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. <laughs> Let us know if we're I mean, right Apple Podcasts. That. Yeah. Um, so we are a podcast that attempts to keep up with Lorelai and Roy's pop culture references on Gilmore Girls. For real, though, I'm Taylor. And I'm Kyla. And this week we are talking one of the literally most notorious flops, movie flops of all time. In what we are kind of calling, or at least what I'm sort of calling, our classic movie series that is ongoing. Yeah. That will be continued. At least one more episode after yeah. this. We did Citizen Kane, we did Misery, and now we are doing, uh, what would you say, a drop in quality, maybe? A little bit. <laughs> Little less uh, uh, grabbing than Misery, I would say. Maybe not as well written. Yeah, maybe not. It's original. <laughs> it's That's unique. It's great. one of a kind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is boy. Napoleon Dynamite. That doesn't mean it makes a good movie. <laughs> you don't like Napoleon Dynamite? Oh my gosh, I was scarred. You want to hear this story of the worst vacation of my life? Yes, I do. That probably sounds so white privilege of me to say that I had <laughs> the worst vacation of my life because it's a vacation. But when you're, you know, 13, you don't have a choice, right? At the mercy of your parents. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and when my mom listens to this, she will just cringe <laughs> and apologize to me once again. But we went down to Florida, stayed with my grandma. My grandma's an interesting lady, not my nana. She's the one who's been on here, my grandma. And gotcha. we spent the vacation painting the inside and the outside of her house <laughs> and quoting Napoleon Dynamite nonstop. An entire week of just my parents and uncle quoting that movie endlessly. So did you hate that movie because you didn't like the movie or do you hate the movie because of that experience? Mostly the experience. Because I love that movie and our family quotes it all the live long day. I'm so glad that you have never quoted it in my presence. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, no, no. Oh, I cannot. <laughs> I'm going to start putting Snapchat filters on your face. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, see how you like that. Well, some of them don't bother me. I just don't like face swaps and face distortions. Backed. <laughs> This Taylor is not on Snapchat because she really hates face swapping and things that screw up your face. Another fact, though, is that Taylor does have a Snapchat account, and Kyla sent her many snaps that she never <laughs> opened until she realized that Taylor does not use Snapchat. Sorry. <laughs> they probably weren't that great. It's all good. No, I'm sure they were great. <laughs> they were probably me. My face distorted. Um... 
Well, so I'm sorry you had to go to Florida and listen to Napoleon Dynamite all week. But at least you didn't go to Ishtar. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, we're talking Ishtar, which I have dubbed Iktar. And I can't really disagree with you. Though I'm getting the sense that I enjoyed this movie more than you did. Hmm. <laughs> we're going to find out. Let's kick it off with a transitional segment. The best, you know? The worst. <laughs> Today, in honor of awful singers on Iktar, we are talking favorite and least favorite Grimmel Girls musical performances. Give me your best. <laughs> My all-time favorite, and I think one that um, Clark and Rogers would approve of, is the guy who officiates Liz and TJ's wedding. And he sings about (laughs) how we, today, we share our love. And when we were kids, we shared our toys, and now we share love at their Renaissance-style wedding. I don't remember that. It is amazing, and we should definitely play a clip right here. Where's the minister? As kids, we shared our toys with all the girls and boys. Barrel of monkeys, your battleship sunk me. Please recall the joy. Willow, clue, mouse trap, bash and spirograph, kaleidoscope spinning, Yahtzee, I'm winning. Think of how we laughed. But today we share our love. Today we share our love. For love is the greatest toy around, around, around. Think of something not funny. Can't. You may plant the ceremonial sword. Can't. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, <laughs> yep, that's a good one. Okay, excellent what's choice. Your favorite. Um, so I couldn't think of many, but the one that I just immediately came to mind is Lorelai singing to Luke in the karaoke bar. If I should stay. <laughs> I would only be in your way. So I'll She's a go. Whitney bird? Oh, I think it's Dolly inspired. But I know I'll think of you each step of the way. <sighs> Classic. And I will always love you. I always notice that she's saying it a little bit off. Yeah, she's like saying it too fast, but maybe that's, you know, she's drunk, she's nervous. Well, and I think she says she's going for the Dolly version, not the Whitney version, so maybe she's going for a little country twang. I see, I see. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah, that's gotta be my favorite. Taking with me, so goodbye, please don't cry. We both know I'm not what you need, and I will always love you. All right, worst. Um, worst. I feel like there's got to be a life and death brigade something in there. <laughs> 
Well, we've talked about this one already, but I definitely have some mixed feelings about at least the length of the musical in A Year in the Life. Yeah. There were definitely parts that made me laugh, like the line where it's like, I am like you except in pants or something like that. Like, yeah. I thought that was really funny. But then it just kept going. So, yeah. oh, oh, and then it's topped by Carol King singing one of her own songs, like breaking the fourth wall. Actually, that's by far the worst because Carol King is great and she shouldn't be oh. subjected to that. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Carol King as Sophie, the music right. store owner, is like, well, I've written some songs. And then she breaks out into, I feel the earth move under my feet. And like oh. a real life Carol King song. Yeah, that is and weird. Everyone's like, oh, that sucks. We don't want it in the musical. And I'm like, one, that's not true. Two, breaks the fourth wall and makes me uncomfortable yeah that was yeah. maybe the worst moment in the entire revival really for me anyway okay yeah yeah so overall i think the musical just it ruined itself yeah it's too much too much too much not enough lane mm-hmm. oh agreed what's your worst moment yeah it's got to be the musical just mm. Because uh, I've watched A Year in the Life uh, through again a second time since, and I just skipped right past it. I was like, this is mean. This is worthless. It doesn't really move the story until the very no. end. Oh, right. Which that could have been done, you know, very, very much quicker. <laughs> Efficiency, people. Yeah. Get on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that sums up the best and the worst. Agreed. So, speaking of the worst, are you ready to talk Iktar? I don't know, but I guess that's what's next, huh? Yes. So, we just talked about (laughs) recently... Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just laughing thinking of this movie. (laughs) So, this episode is called The Breakup Part 2, and the plot summary from IMDb, written by a user named Alex... Rebounding from a fight with Dean, Rory ends up kissing Tristan at a party. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. While Lorelai follows her own impulse to show up at Max's house for a night of passion. (sighs) (laughs) Okay. So that's a little simplistic, but basically the whole episode, Lorelai's trying to get Rory to wallow. Mm -hmm. And Rory's like, no, I'm going to keep myself busy. I'm not going to be sad. And then she and Lorelai have this conversation. Get back in your pajamas, go to bed, eat nothing but gallons of ice cream and tons of pizza. Don't take a shower or shave your legs or put on any kind of makeup at all. And just sit in the dark and watch a really sad movie and have a good long cry and just wallow. You need to wallow. No, Rory, your first love is intense and your first breakup even more intense. Shoving it away and ignoring it while you make lists, is it's, it's not going to help. I don't want to wallow. Try it for one day. No. One day, one day of pizza and pajamas. I'll rent Love Story and, and, and The Champ and Affair to Remember, Ishtar. I don't want to be that kind of girl. The kind of girl who watches Ishtar? Basically, she keeps that attitude for the whole episode until she kisses Tristan and realizes, oh, actually, I'm not doing well. <laughs> and then comes back home and says, in what I think is one of the most like Aww. saddest Rory moments in the whole series yeah. like I'm ready to wallow now 
But yeah. that ice cream man, that was appealing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So when you first heard Rory and Lorelai have this conversation, what did you think? Well, I still have not seen An Affair to Remember, which I know is kind <gasps> of a so sin. It's so good. Yes, I, I do want to see it. So I knew what that was, but I didn't know any of the other movies that she was listing. And I didn't know what Ishtar was. Mm. So I just kind of thought, oh, it must be like favorite movies of theirs. And I wasn't surprised that I didn't yeah. know, recognize the titles of their favorite movies because that's just so them. Um, what about you? Well, I have seen An Affair to Remember, and I definitely recommend it. It is super romantic classic, and if you've ever seen Sleepless in Seattle, that's a really important reference. Mm -hmm. But I have not seen Love Story or The Champ, and I had not seen Ishtar till a couple, like, till for this. (laughs) Yeah. So, I, like, understood in the context what she was saying, but... I didn't really know how these movies fit together. Right. Or what Lorelai meant when she said the kind of girl that watches Ishtar. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I didn't know either. Mm-hmm. So, this movie. <laughs> as we alluded to, or I guess we, we stated, it's about a couple of songwriters. They've got a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Good on them. But it's it's uh, Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty, who now Warren Beatty, but yes, uh, oh Beatty, Warren Beatty, <laughs> uh, which I don't know any of his other movies. Well, you might know him as, and the Oscar goes to La La Land guy. That was him. He well, actually, Faye Dunaway said it, but he and Faye Dunaway were the ones. He is the who worst. <laughs> Who mistakenly announced La La Land won Best Picture. Oh, jeez. I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't think about it as I was watching the movie, but I was reminded recently. Oh, well, Warren Beatty, you have not not treated me very well. (laughs) Uh, So it's got him, Dustin Hoffman, who I know from other movies, but he was just a little... I don't know. It's like movies from the 80s uh, I'm not super interested in. It's like... They're old enough that they're out of style, mm-hmm. but they're not old enough to be classics. Except for, like, yeah, The Breakfast Club, those, like, teenage movies. But just, like, the look of a lot of, like, 80s movies just kind of look too outdated to me. And they're not old enough to be classic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't my think I it. agree with that, but I can see what you mean about them being, like, kind of especially for us, like, in that awkward stage yeah. of, like, we weren't alive for them, and, like, we were too young to watch them when they were popular when we were alive. Mm-hmm. But they're also not so old that it's, like, they're not, like, Citizen Kane. Right, right. So mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman is in a lot of movies that are just at, right at that spot for me still. Mm-hmm. Although he is in one of my favorite, all-time favorite movies, um... see whenever i say that i'm like wait what's the title of it am i gonna forget (laughs) i get like so much pressure on myself um stranger than fiction star which have you seen that uh i almost never fall asleep in movies but it it was not a reflection of the movie it was a reflection of basically pulling almost all nighters during finals week 
and then trying uh-huh. to watch that movie after graduation. Mm. Not my graduation, but going to a graduation, I was exhausted. Yeah. I would like to okay. rewatch it. <laughs> okay, well, that's allowed. So, yeah, he's in that, but that's not a, an 80s film. That's a 2000s film. But anyways, if you haven't seen it, great movie. Definitely not your average mm-hmm. Will Ferrell movie. There's my plug. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, so it stars them and also that one lady. What's her name? Oh, the one whose name I totally butchered in the opening. <laughs> um, Isabel... Yeah. Elaine May? Oh, that's the director and writer. It's Oh, I thought she was also the one who starred in it. It's Isabel Adjani. Hmm. Well, Which I'm saying most... with my very American accent. <laughs> Great. But yeah, it's basically Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. Bad, bad songwriters. Everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. And the only place that'll book them is Morocco. So they go to Morocco, and is the town Ishtar, is the country Ishtar, right? Okay. Help me out here. So I watched this movie on a plane, which means I'm pretty focused, because there aren't many distractions, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I could not follow the plot of this movie for the life of me. (laughs) It makes no sense. But what I think I've cobbled together from... The reviews and other things I've read post-watching the movie is they're supposed Mm -hmm. to perform in Morocco, so that's where they fly into, but then Dustin Hoffman meets Isabel Adjani, or however you say her last name, (laughs) and she's a revolutionary from the neighboring fictional country of Ishtar. Okay. And they somehow end up in Ishtar. With a plot that involves the CIA. Ishtar. Like, they go, they walk from their hotel, and suddenly they're in Ishtar. And Dustin Hoffman gives her his passport. So how did he cross that? Oh, but he got it back. Yeah. The plot does not. Yeah. Okay, so they're they're going to Morocco for a, to sing at a hotel, and Mm -hmm. the people Mm -hmm. just loved them, which, how did they just randomly like them? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe um, but they're, they're starved for entertainment. Yeah. yeah. But on the way, they meet, yeah, that lady who is a part of this, of the revolution trying to free the Ishtarians. From, from the- <laughs> a guy that the CIA... I think maybe they're trying to make some commentary on how the U.S. interferes yeah. in Middle Eastern governments, but I don't know. No. Um... I, I they get caught up know. in this mess, and Dustin Hoffman is talking to the CIA agent from the U.S. The other guy, Warren Beatty, is talking to the lady from Ishtar, and they're both trying to help the other side, but then the two sides both decide they need to die because they know too much. But then they survive, and uh, the lady decides, I don't want to kill you anymore. And they get a record deal. Because they found the secret map, and so they say that they'll give it back if they get a record deal and a live concert at that hotel in Morocco. Not New York, not L.A., not Vegas, and I think in it's the re- hotel in Morocco. And it's recorded, I live. think, 
recorded yeah. live so they can sell the live recording like live in Morocco or something. Right. That you see at the end is on super sale clearance. <laughs> yeah. So. so that is the plot. We think. <laughs> and oh my goodness, Taylor, I don't know about you. You were on a plane. I was on my couch. <laughs> I was so bored. <laughs> I was just like genuinely bored. I wasn't I wasn't even like laughing at it. I was just bored. I'm so sorry because that was not my experience at all. I texted you and I said this is unbearable. I know. And I texted you after I watched it and I was like, it's a hoot. This movie, I, okay, it is awful. Like, this is, like, not a good movie. But I was so entertained by its you badness. You were? Like, I would watch it again with the right Are people. Are you kidding yes. me? I would watch it again with the right people to make fun of it. But also, context. I'm going to have a real talk <laughs> moment with you. Okay, please I do. may or may not, in January of this year, have watched... The Vanilla Ice movie, Cooler Than Ice, and had a grand old time making fun of it with my brother. <laughs> okay, see, and for me, Ishtar was, there was a line, okay? Mm -hmm. Here's another one of my, I feel like I've already given an analogy like this, but. Give it to me. Okay, here it is. So for me, these two <laughs> characters were dumb, and you knew that in the movie, they're the protagonists, but they're dumb. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I kind of it made me think of Dumb and Dumber, right? Uh -huh. Protagonists are idiots. They end up in some trouble, but they get out of it because they're idiots and work it out. But for me, the characters weren't quite stupid enough, and the shenanigans weren't quite ridiculous enough that I could laugh at it. It was just like, why am I watching the dumb people? So it wasn't dumb enough to be funny to me. Mm-hmm. It was just bad. You mean the song that they sing in the cafe when they're banging on the bongos and dancing? Like, that wasn't enough for you? No. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I was on the plane, like, trying to stifle my laughter. Like, <laughs> and here's what I'll say. I actually got a little worried that I was going to actually genuinely like this movie. Because... Really? As one who writes movie reviews, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I, like, if my opinion... And I try not to, like, read any reviews before I see something. Because I, like, want it to be my true opinion. And I do feel like I'm, like, really, like, in general, pretty honest. If, like, my review doesn't match with, like, what the general consensus is saying, I'll tell you that. But I still get insecure sometimes if it's, like... Everyone says this movie is terrible, and I liked it. Like, what does that say? <laughs> right. And so in the first, like, 20, 25 minutes of this movie, when you're just watching them be terrible songwriters in New York, I thought that was actually really funny. But that then was the part I couldn't stand. But then they went to Morocco, and I was like, oh, my gosh, the plot makes no sense. The writing is all over the place. And, like, I felt like this... The, was trying to be two movies. Like, there was one movie that I liked about, like, just two terrible songwriters trying to make it in New York. And then there was this other, like, something action-adventure movie in the Middle East. 
And, like, these two movies do not go together. Like, I feel like it was trying to be a funny Indiana Jones, and it it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like either half, but the second part, the lengthier part in Morocco was better to me, because at least something was happening. Well, touche. I understand what you're saying, though. I mean, if... Because they were bad, but they just weren't... I, w- I was not entertained at all. Okay. Now, that's also how I feel about Napoleon Dynamite, though, is I love it because you can laugh at them, and it's so funny. And it, to me, it's just too bad. And I think that experience attributed a lot to that because I did watch it twice. Uh-huh. So, and I, I remember thinking it was funny, but now I just I can't go back there. See, and Napoleon Dynamite's a movie I laugh at no matter how many times I've seen it. Mm. And every time it feels like I find a new thing that I find is like, oh, I never noticed they did that before. Oof. Yeah, I think mostly because of my terrible Florida trip. Well, that's fair. So you have a little bit of trauma associated with it. Yes. Which also, it was in December, so it was my Christmas break, and it was cold, and we went to the beach, oh, one time. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. That means a lot. I do give you genuine (laughs) sympathy for that. Thank you. I did also feel your pain when I went to, um, in college, I went on a trip to the Middle East, actually, not Morocco. Hmm. But there were several guys on the trip and a few girls, but mostly the guys. They were quoting the movie The Other Guys with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg all week. I've never seen it, but I feel like I have because they <laughs> quoted it all week. Oh. And so... See, it ruins it. Well, yeah. And, like, I'm, like, not in on the joke. And mm-hmm. we're on, like, the school trip, like, packed start to finish. So I don't... Like, I can't watch this movie and be in on the joke. And even then, I'd right. still be late to the party. Right. See? And so doesn't that just make you, when you think of the other guys, does that make you go, ugh? A little bit. I mean, if I yeah. saw it, I might like it, but I've oh, never... Oh, it's a great movie. Okay. Another See... Will Ferrell one, the only Will Ferrell one that I like where he's, like, being funny. Okay. The only one that I, like, really like. I can... <laughs> so, uh, just, anyways, I'm not big into, like, all those, like, the stupid funny, but I did mm-hmm. really like the other guys. Like, okay. I own it. I used to. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a funny movie. Okay, so yes, overquoting ruins things for sure. That's yeah. the lesson. Let's see. Any other reactions to this movie? <laughs> I'm sure I'll give more, but yeah, basically I didn't like it. That's fair. <laughs> I don't defend this as a great movie. It was pretty yeah. terrible. But, but I it is watch- nice that you were able to be entertained. Oh, yes, I was very entertained, but not for the reasons that the people who made it wanted me to be entertained. Right. And, you know, honestly, if something is entertaining to you, I think it's fine. Like, that's what entertainment, that's what media is for, right? Mm -hmm. Movies, TV shows to entertain you. So Mm -hmm. that's valid. I've been listening to a podcast about modern art. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because normally you say about modern art, like, that's really weird or I could have done that. (laughs) But if you like it, if you have, like, your own experience with it, that's what it's all about, man. Boom. Peace and love. <laughs> <laughs> There's more to art than entertainment, but I would agree with you. But, like, having your own experience, exactly. that is valid. Yeah. And a movie that is 
no matter what, even if I didn't take away from that movie exactly what they wanted, it's meant to be a comedy. Yeah. Not exactly the comedy they intended to make, but... <laughs> hot fudge love, chocolate covered, hot fudge love, cherry ripple, kisses, dishes, knishes, nutritious. This is, this is, bliss, blisses. This, if... Critics agreed with us. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. much universally hated. Although, in the last few years, now that it's finally gotten a DVD release stateside, oh. which it did not happen until the last few years. Oh, that's hysterical. Um, people have been rewatching and reconsidering. Some people think it's really good now, or at least... Better than what they thought in 1987. <laughs> so, Which, I will have more on that in a, a little bit, but they it does have a fandom. Well, and just for some context, when this movie came out in 1987, according to Box Office Mojo, it had an estimated $55 million budget, which is pretty big for a comedy, and yeah. it only, in its entire run, made $14 million. That's bad. So any movie that doesn't make what it took to make it, any movie that doesn't break even is considered a flop. But this one is a notorious one. And the LA Times, they have a list, like a slideshow, that they've updated as recently as this year. And they count it among some of the costliest flops of all time hmm. to this day. So other ones on this list, John Carter, Battlefield Earth, Howard the Duck, Speed Racer, The Adventures of Pluto <laughs> Nash, Cutthroat Island, Geely, Mars Needs Mom, Sahara. If you know anything about film history, you are probably aware that those are all pretty universally panned movies. And if you don't know anything about film history, you've probably never heard of them. And that <laughs> tells you exactly what you need to know. Yep. And it was pretty much, like, this movie, it had a cloud hanging over its head even before it came out. Oh. So it came out five months late, and it was $23 million over its original budget. This is according to the New York Times. Although, that was, the New York Times even had it estimated at a smaller budget than Box Office Mojo does today, so. Hmm. Plus, that probably didn't include the $8 million spent on advertising to promote it. And wow. there were just all sorts of costs associated with it. So there's, at the time, like, anonymous people were saying that the studio bought the movie without even a script in hand, which I guess is atypical because it had Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman and Elaine May, mm -hmm. who at the time, like, she was known as a pretty good comedy writer. And so they negotiated their contract so that Beatty and Hoffman would each get paid $5.5 million, and then Beatty got an extra five hundred grand because he was producing. Elaine May would get $1.5 million for writing the script and directing. Okay, and this is, like, before any costs associated with production. So that's $14 right. million before they even started yeah. producing it. So then originally they were like, oh, this will only cost $28 million. That was what Warren Beatty was telling the studio. And then 
Um, one of Columbia Studios physical production experts a couple weeks later said, um, well, this could probably be made for $34 million. And then it ended up ballooning to $55 million. How it... do you spend 20 30 extra million? Well, here are a few ways they might have spent that money. <laughs> um, it was a 94-day shooting schedule that was... Like, that's pretty long for a small comedy or a quote-unquote small comedy. And it was in Morocco. And so that's, like, that added apparently, like, a lot of difficulty and expense. Mm -hmm. And then, this is rumors, but who's to say if it's true or not. So that the stars, Beatty and Hoffman and director Elaine May, were all working on their own cuts of the movie. And at one time during editing, there were three separate teams of editors working around the clock and being paid double time, triple time, and even more expensive golden time. So apparently they, like, could not come to a resolution. Like, there were tons of just, like, competing personalities, like, perfectionists on the set. And apparently the cinematographer was also, like, really opinionated about how he wanted stuff done. So it was just, like... This, like, perfect storm of everybody having different opinions. Mm -hmm. And then, apparently, Columbia started designing a poster in April 1986. But Mr. Beatty did not approve a poster until a year later, six weeks before the movie opened. So just, like, all sorts of little things like that probably just added up. Like, yeah. I'm sure that most movies have unexpected costs, especially if you're mm-hmm. shooting overseas and, like, working with animals and that kind of thing. But, like, just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so Very mismanaged. Yeah. Very mismanaged, it sounds like. And it's hard to, like, pinpoint exactly where that happened. Like, was it because they pitched the movie poorly? Is it because stuff went wrong on set? Like, I don't know. I wasn't there. Right. But anyway. Oof. And... So by the time that movie came out, yeah. Yeah. It was already. Hmm. And yeah. I I watched let's see, I read maybe that parts of that same piece from The New Yorker. And let's see. Um Peter Biskin, Biskin, maybe wrote the biography of Warren Beatty. Oh, and we did not read the same piece then, because I don't oh, know what okay. you're gonna say. Mine's from the New York Times. Oh. oh, I thought you said New Yorker. Okay. Oh, my bad. This one's from the New Yorker, and <laughs> Peter wrote in his book about Warren Beatty. Ishtar was being distributed by an unfriendly studio that Beatty suspected was leaking damaging items to the press. It's like, that okay. seems kind of odd. Why would you think that the studio that's producing your movie is saying bad things about it? Um, and then I watched an interview with Charles Grodin, and he played the CIA agent in Ishtar. Oh, yeah. And um, it was an interview, and basically it just sounded like he was trying, still trying to defend the film, you know, decades later. Mm-hmm. and didn't do a great job of it so he's <laughs> um yeah so he talked about how everyone was so focused on how much we spent and why did everyone care about the budget but the point was that they didn't make back their budget which is mm-hmm. like what every 
business endeavor is trying to do is make a profit. So you need to mm-hmm. make back what you spent first. So he was that's he was trying to defend it that way. And then his one defense too was this movie probably is hipper than the audience. Oh. So like we just didn't get it. Oh my gosh, that is one of my ugh. That is one of my least favorite things when people are like, Ugh, you just didn't get it. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, fine, if the movie's not for me. Like, not every movie is made for every person, and that's fine. But a well-made movie, like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to have a certain life experience to get it. And you also, right. like, it's fine if you just don't like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine if other people do, but when there's a very, very small group of people who like a movie and everybody else is saying, <laughs> whoo, baby, um, there might be some truth behind that. So he was convinced that it was too, too insider, you know, only people in showbiz get it. Uh, which people in showbiz got it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's a little bit of that interview. You know, I once made a, I once wrote a movie called Movers and Shakers. It was about behind the scenes in Hollywood. It was very good if you knew about behind the scenes in Hollywood. Otherwise, it was too inside. This movie probably is hipper than the audience. Instead of saying, oh, Elaine May, Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman, how could they make such a bomb? You know, notice I left my name out of that. Uh, you know, how could they do Well, they didn't. They might have made something too hip for the room. So this is part of the, this is an interview for the Waiting for Ishtar documentary, which is all about the fandom surrounding Ishtar. Mm-hmm. It exists. There uh-huh. are fans. I'm, I'm <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> so they interviewed some people involved with the film. Mm-hmm. And fans. And I haven't seen it because they, they've done some smaller showings in salons, as they call them. But it was actually, it was an Indiegogo campaign that was backed by mm-hmm. 74 people raised $17,000, Canadian dollars, because it is produced and created by John Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan Crombie. Mm-hmm. Do you know that name? No. Not off the top of my head. Let me give you a hint. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, Anne. Say that again? I'm so sorry, Anne. I'm so sorry, Anne? Uh-huh. With a little Minnesota twang? Well, that's supposed to be Canadian. Oh, that, you know, they're close. Close. Uh, Gilbert Blythe! Who's that? On Anna Green Gables! Oh! Okay, sorry. I have to be honest, I'm not a huge... Like, I have nothing against Anna Green Gables. I just haven't. I have a little exposure. My sister got into it, and I was in the room when she watched it, and I know there's Gilbert. Anna Green Gables? I've seen scenes. Oh, it's so wonderful. Okay, it's not something I've watched a million times, but I've watched it several (laughs) times. And Gilbert Blythe. Okay, well, for other people, I'm sure they will feel just a warm feeling when you think of Jonathan Crombie, Gilbert Blythe. Aww. Well, I'm glad you have warm feelings. Thank (laughs) you. 
And Jonathan Krabi actually died two years ago, uh-huh. a year ago. Uh-huh. Um, so the film is kind of, you know, now dedicated to him. But John Mitchell finished it. It came out much like Ishtar, a little later than expected. But um, it's out and they're showing it. And the the trailer for it, it started with a quote from Elaine May, the director. Oh, no. If all the people who hate Ishtar had seen it, I would be a rich woman today. Ooh, that's sharp. But basically claiming that the people who hated it actually didn't see it. That's actually, if you flip through the reviews on IMDb, that's pretty much what people that are saying if you hate this movie you probably haven't seen it <laughs> yeah it's like no i i think i think we've seen it all the way through mm-hmm. so um yeah it seems like they're just a little a little salty about people's dislike for it i don't know that would be so hard though imagine putting your heart and soul and millions of dollars into something and then everyone telling you it was terrible like that would mm-hmm. suck that would be hard to just accept and move on. But it would be so much better just to accept it, learn from it, and move on. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into this, I'm sure. I don't want to cut off you telling us about this cool documentary, because I do want to hear more. But I'm not sure it's all her fault. We'll see. <gasps> okay, interesting. Tell me how it wasn't entirely her fault. I'm interested. Okay, well, I will say there were some reviews that were decent, of this movie, believe it or not, even at the time it came out. My favorite thing when I was looking for reviews of this, the Washington Post on the same day published a negative review and a positive review. And I don't know mm-hmm. for sure, but I like to think they ran side by side together in the paper. I don't Much know. Much like uh, Paris's opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Two opinions that she wanted printed in the Yale Daily News. Oh, yeah. That's a great call out. My pro tenure piece. Okay, thank you. And my anti-tenure piece. Paris, come on. Just hear me out. No. When I first started writing, I believed passionately that tenure was a reward for excellent service and a way for a school to attract the very best teachers from all over the country. Sold. Let's go with that. But once I finished writing, I started thinking about the other side of the argument. I mean, money and employment for the rest of your life, no matter what. Where's the incentive to keep the standards high? I mean, remember Professor Levers? He got tenured and lost all interest. Just sat there, doughy and sleepy. It was like being taught by Jimmy Kimmel. Anti-tenure. Stamp it, ship it. I was thinking maybe you could print both pieces. What? Side by side, like a point-counterpoint. You want me to print a point-counterpoint where both points are written by the same person? Bold, huh? You have five minutes to pick a side. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now it's also worth pointing out the positive review is much shorter. (laughs) Um... And it does say the plot is trickier than quicksand, which I would agree with. (laughs) But they say it's an unabashed vamp for a pair of household names, and such it works, often hilariously. And they want to be Simon and Garfunkel, but they're Abbott and Costello. So somebody liked this movie. Mm -hmm. But then you also have the negative review. (laughs) Which... This is the opening line of the review. I just, I appreciate this writing. It's a gem, I think. (laughs) A mammoth dud, a catastrophe, a huge floundering stinker of biblical proportions. That's what all the advanced stories on Ishtar have prepared us for. In fact, it's not nearly so grand an achievement. Ishtar doesn't attempt enough to be considered a magnificent failure. It's something far less substantial. It's piddling, a hangdog little comedy with not enough laughs. Ooh, oh, that's a burn. Ooh, that is. He Ladies says and it's, gents, watch out. 
I don't know. As one who's not a Beatty connoisseur, I can't say for sure. But this seems mean. It's the worst performance Beatty has ever given. Usually stars battle over salaries and close-ups and top billing. But here, Hoffman and Beatty seem to fight over who gets to be second banana. Ooh. Mm. Now, but it probably is the worst performance from him. Don't Maybe. I mean... But, like, everyone has to have one. I don't know. Touché. And then he says, Caught between making the picture sizable enough to justify the presence of its stars and maintaining its status as a cozy table for two affair, she, Elaine May, has tried to play it both ways. As a result, the movie can't figure out what it wants to be. Hmm. And I agree with that criticism. Like I said, it's like trying to be two movies, I think. Yeah. But a lot of the blame, and he was doing it there, which, as a critic, you can find somebody, like, you might be able to point and say, I think it's this person's fault. But Elaine May got a lot of flack for this movie, so much so that it pretty much destroyed her career. Mm. And so... Just a couple months ago, there was a piece in The Guardian talking about this movie because it's its 30th anniversary this year. Mm. And this is a little bit lengthy, but I just think it really makes a good point that, okay, it said Elaine May had a reputation as a quote-unquote take-no-guff dame in the male-dominated industry. And, like, that was something she already had associated with her before this movie came out. But this article makes a really good point that plenty of male directors have survived flops of far greater magnitude. Mm. Adjusting for inflation or not, Ishtar's losses pale in comparison with those of Joe Wright's Pan. Do you remember that movie that came out a couple years ago? And Gore Verbinski's The Lone Ranger, which came out a couple years ago. And those are both still working directors. And Mm. there are other movies like Stealth, I barely remember with that movie, but the director, he has, like, had it multiple times to try and redeem his career, and so I think this is a really interesting perspective, saying, yeah, you know, she had a career that she was pretty well respected, like, brushing up a lot of comedy scripts, making them better, she'd done some directing on her own, and so maybe the punishment for this movie was just way disproportionate yeah, to what happened here like i can understand someone saying like hey you didn't do a good job with this movie we didn't make our money back i don't want to work with you but the fact is there are plenty of male directors who do get to work again and she didn't yeah you know and i saw there's a lot of talk about that around wonder woman Mm. recently and i saw a great tweet um because it was just they were like it was a huge success wow (laughs) and (laughs) and uh someone tweeted out Let's see, we will know there's a quality, not when a woman succeeds in a movie, but when a female director creates a flop, but she can still continue to work. And I thought that that was so true because, I mean, that's true of any career, right? Like, you're not always going to make a success. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know much about Elaine May. I, I really don't. Well, that's probably indicative yeah that's i mean that sucks though one movie you go out on a limb and yeah well and she wrote and directed it so Mm -hmm. 
But then this is also from The Guardian. This writer says, But for the cardinal sin of failing while female, May couldn't get another film project off the ground and instead wrote intermittently, including well-received scripts for The Birdcage and Primary Colors. As ever, temperamental men get vaunted as tormented artists, while temperamental women get labeled as emotional and cast aside. Mm. And I Ugh. mean, think, of, think about how many difficult people... Like, I think... Um, like, I was just listening to a podcast in the last week. They were talking about how Christopher Nolan, like, he doesn't want anyone to have water bottles on the set. Like, because I guess it's, like, not a period thing. And it also, like, he doesn't like the noise of the crinkling and, like, that kind oh. of thing. Like, oh. And, like, I can get it if you don't want that noise to show up on the tape. And if you don't, like, want it to be distracting. But it seems a little, like okay like whatever but everyone's like oh he's such a great artist and this is not a diss on christopher nolan like he's a great filmmaker and i still really want to see dunkirk i haven't seen it so but i just think it's interesting comparison yeah yeah i mean that i we've talked about chef chefery you know it's dominated by men i mean really it's just all dominated by men so they have a they've had a lot more time and opportunity to fail and succeed mm-hmm. and uh so when it comes to women not not just uh i don't know it's like there the people still want women to earn respect instead of just like hey now that we like allow women to vote and we allow like women can do work and things they're still like yeah but you can't just like do all of it right away and Mm -hmm. you know still have the same level of respect when it's it's not like it's because we didn't have the opportunity to try in the past you know it it wasn't because we weren't good at it Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah so i'm sorry elaine may that really sucks and i think it's totally fair for you and I to be like, we didn't like this movie. But mm-hmm. also, I think we can say, why did she not get a chance to try again when she already, like, she'd had other opportunities in her career to prove that she had talent and could be an asset yeah. to movies. Yeah. And she had already proved that before this, and then it's like one flop and, like, taken away. Yeah. Blech. I mean, just think, what if Citizen Kane... They had said, wow, this sucked. Well, and they did kind of, but not in a, it wasn't like a flop where, anyways, yeah. a little bit different. Um, and he, he still worked. He would have been out. Yeah. I mean, that is true. It was, I guess it wasn't. It was a flop then. Yeah. And he still worked. Granted, he didn't have artistic control like that ever again. Mm-hmm. But he still worked. Yeah. Well. No, I want to research Elaine May. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if we watch Waiting for Ishtar. Yeah. (laughs) I would do that. I could watch that. We could watch that. That, You wouldn't be subject to just Dustin Hoffman and (laughs) Warren Beatty. You would have talking heads about the movie. (laughs) Come on, you crazy? I'm moving. Hawk. Wait a minute. Here, just, just drink a little bit of this. Don't spill it, Hawk. Don't spill it. Don't spill it. Don't spill it. 
But I have to admit one thing. What? In the beginning, when Dustin Hoffman said, this is as good as anything, who do you say? The, I forget what Simon band Simon and said. Garfunkel? Yeah, I was like, this is as good as anything they've ever written. And like, when I heard it first, I was like, telling the truth is dangerous business. I was like, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fine. I was like, yeah, that's cool. And so I thought they were going to be great songwriters. But then I figured out they weren't good. But mm-hmm. like, it's interesting because they said, oh yeah, this is great. So I was like, yeah, sure, it's great. Like, if the movie wants me to think it's great, I'll think it's great. So, like, I don't know. Too, with with this movie and as what happens and as what you try to avoid by not reading reviews ahead of time, you know, once one person says it's bad, then everyone wants to agree with them. Mm. So, yeah. But it was bad. Yeah, but I feel like it is interesting because, like, I think I had read in the plot summary, like, oh, they're bad songwriters or something, or I picked up mm-hmm. on it pretty quickly. But that is an interesting point because there were a lot of things that I felt like they did not make clear what you wanted to think. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like in the movie they were setting up this love triangle. Like, oh, she's going to have to choose between right. them or, like, go back and forth. And then, like, the movie just ended. Or you think... You just think the plot, like, whatever the deal, the map is happening, or whatever's happening right. with that Nothing map. Nothing really even happens with it. They just want the map, but what the map stands for doesn't even Make sense. come to fruition. Well, it doesn't even happen. Like, nothing happens. Yeah, so, like... Because, they... like, you know, in Indiana Jones, they find the chest, and then stuff comes out of it, and they, you know, lock it up in storage, but, like... Something happens when they get a hold of the item. So what you're saying is something happened in the Indiana Jones movie and nothing (laughs) happened in this movie? Is that what you're saying? That'd be correct. Uh, Yeah. So I think that's what was most frustrating about this movie is it set things up and then didn't do anything with them. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, they could have told you they're great songwriters and then nothing happened. And it almost wouldn't be any different. Than what they did give us. Yeah, that is actually accurate. Interesting. So, there you go. Ishtar, what a movie. What a throop. <laughs> <laughs> what a smuck I was. Schmuck. It's not smuck, it's schmuck. Smuck. Schmuck. Smuck. Say shh. Now say muck. Muck. Now say shh and muck together real fast. Smuck. So. 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 I think we know where we're going with this. (laughs) I think so. So. How does this fit into the world of Gilmore Girls? (laughs) Oh, well, let me see. Um, 
to answer that, we also need to look at the other films that Lorelai mentioned in this list of movies that they could rent, which we already said in Affair to Remember. And the other ones were Love Story and The Champ. And Affair to Remember, couple falls in love and agrees to men six months at the Empire State Building. But will it happen? Cary Grant and Deborah Ca- Care. Kerr, I think. Kerr. Kerr. <laughs> Cur, her. I'm gonna get my cur. I whip my cur back and forth. <laughs> I'm not. That was a good one-hit wonder. Um, <laughs> a love story. So that is, let's see, a story about a boy and a girl from different backgrounds fall in love regardless of their upbringing, and then tragedy strikes. And that one was a box office phenomenon. One of those yes. movies that people waited in line for hours to see. So and I think it won Oscars. Oh I mean, really? Okay. It's a pretty Done good generally like at the time anyway it was well loved yeah the other movie the champ um billy flynn a former boxing champion is now a horse trainer in hilea he makes just enough money to raise his little boy tj over whom he got custody after his wife annie left him seven years ago tj worships the champ who is now working on his comeback in order to give his boy a better future but suddenly annie shows up again so that one, although it may sound riveting, not as hot at the box office as Love Story. Or I'm sure fair to remember. Um, but that one has John Voight, Ricky Schroeder, and Faye Dunaway. Oh. So this list. Both of our Oscar culprits. <laughs> uh-huh. It has two good movies, two bad movies. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, okay, also tell me this. Mm-hmm. I know I know for a fact A Fair to Remember is a movie that could make you cry because there's a tragic element to it. And I know that a lot of people say love story makes them cry. Oh. Do you think The Champ is a cryy movie, for lack of a real adjective? <laughs> I don't know. The images I saw, he was... Bloody and boxing gloves. Mm. Mm. Let's see. What what it happens? It sounds intense. The champ. Sad. <laughs> Let's see ah. what happens on Google. <laughs> oh, oh. I will tell you. So this is when I do that. Okay. The top Google result. What is the saddest movie scene? Researchers say it may be in the champ. Oh, okay. This is from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. So maybe, maybe, maybe. Ooh, it sounds like there's a death that is very sad. Okay. So maybe it's almost a joke on Lorelai's part. Because all Hmm. these other three movies are really sad. And all of a sudden, with that... Like, I'll rent Love Story, The Champ, An Affair to Remember. Oh, sad. Ishtar. And maybe she's saying Ishtar would make you cry because it's so bad? Maybe. Or just throwing it in there as a funny but random... Because that's what then she pulls out at the end. You know, the kind of girl that watches Ishtar. Like, then kind of saying, what, you think that's weird? Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, she knows it's weird. Man, it's really just made me want to eat pizza. I don't know why. <laughs> and get in your pajamas and watch movies watch all movies. day. Yep. Gallon of ice cream. Well, and I almost wonder. 
Okay, so the kind of girl who watches Ishtar. I presume by that phrase she's saying, oh, you might be embarrassed to admit that you watch Ishtar, which, mm. given the movies they watch, I have a feeling this is by far not the worst movie that they watch and enjoy together. Yeah. But then Rory says the kind of girl who just falls apart because she doesn't have a boyfriend. And so maybe Rory is saying it's equally embarrassing to be the girl mm. who doesn't to be the girl who falls apart yeah. because she doesn't have a boyfriend. As it's the same kind of embarrassing as admitting you watch Ishtar. I think that's totally right because Lorelai, you know, she's trying to be soft about it instead of saying because she knows what Rory's talking about. She doesn't want to be mm-hmm. the kind of girl that wall, you know, that gets all sad because she doesn't have a boyfriend. So she, oh, the kind of girl that watches Ishtar, mm-hmm. and then Rory's like, no. Yeah, I think that's true. Using that as kind of a like we know this isn't what we're really saying, mm. but you know what I mean. And if you want to know how Rory feels about being the kind of girl who falls apart without a boyfriend just think about how it is watching ishtar <laughs> basically the worst <laughs> uh, all right i think we nailed it yeah nailed it you're welcome what can i say but you're welcome yes Oops. you're welcome da, da, i can't rap da, da, like da, the rock da, da, da. Um, I think I might have that soundtrack almost memorized. I definitely have belted out some how far I'll go. You know, (laughs) um, husband really likes shiny and you're welcome. And he likes to play those a lot. And so that's how I've memorized them. (laughs) Not because I'm choosing them necessarily, but he is. No judgment. But after like, you know, five times, it's, I'm ready to be done with it. Much like mm-hmm. repeating Napoleon Dynamite quotes. <laughs> no judgment. So, um, this does change how I read the scene, because I didn't understand that Lorelai was recommending Ishtar as a joke. Like, for all I knew, Ishtar was a fine movie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it definitely changes how I read it. Lorelai was just being nice. Yeah, well, and I knew it was a flop, but now that I have seen it, I can see why Rory might be like, oh, I don't really want to admit that we watch Ishtar. Mm -hmm. Although for the two of them, I mean, they watch so much admitted, like they openly say, we watch so much garbage. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it gave me a greater context for sure. Which I feel like is the whole point of this podcast. Yay! Give me a context in <laughs> Gilmore Girls. <laughs> but um, shh, that's not a joke. Why did I do that? Such a yeah. <laughs> Bam. Could you do another sound effect, please? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bonus. Taylor. So, Kyla. Is that our show for today? (laughs) I think it is because
because that's all I have. That's my way of saying yes. <laughs> Woo! That is our show. Another one down. A nice little switch up compared to Misery. For uh, sure. I have to and tell Citizen you something. Kane. <gasps> tell me. I had a nightmare this week about Misery. Oh no, I'm so sorry. Oh, don't apologize. I signed up for it. It had something to do. There was Kathy Bates was there and I think my foot was maybe getting hurt. I don't know. <gasps> oh, it was no. vague. It was a vague memory, but I woke up and I was like, I think I had a bad dream about misery. Oh no. <laughs> oh, Taylor, I'm sorry. You are um you are sacrificing for this podcast. You know, it's just who I am. I just I go above and beyond. I take <laughs> I take my creative hobbies with me to my dreams. Oh, jeez. And to my musical talent. <laughs> Maybe you... you should create music for our show. Mmm. I don't know how um, our current song would feel about that. Because <laughs> right now, all I can play is this in Jingle Bells. summer christmas ah okay and thank you for listening and putting up with my terrible song playing hopefully Um, no i thought that was very great oh Oh, you're thanking the audience i was thanking the audience as always okay we are thankful for your listenership but in this moment i'd like to apologize for any auditory trauma i may have caused (laughs) And thank you for your patience and kindness and love that I'm sure you will bestow in reviews and Twitter comments about my beautiful singing voice. Right? I think think they will. Guys, let us know what you think. Let us know if you've even watched Ishtar. Um, Because... We're waiting for Ishtar. We're waiting for Ishtar. Again, we're not telling you that you should. (laughs) But if you'd like to experience what we did... Go right ahead, tweet at us at so it's a show. Email mm-hmm. us so it's a show at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. Also, if there are any pop culture references in Gilmore Girls that you're curious about, we haven't said this in a while, but like we would love requests. If there's anything yeah. you're like, yo, what's up with this? I don't know what the heck Lorelai's talking about. Because guess what? We asked the same question. Yep. Amen. We can go out of order. Yeah, Sister Suffragette. <laughs> Sister Suffragette. Woohoo! And you can find me on Twitter at K Y L A C A R N E I R O. Interesting. Your voice has changed, Kyla. <laughs> oh my gosh, Taylor, so is yours. You can find me at T Blake24. And I did like not having to spell that. That was nice. <laughs> it was just nice. I worked on my alphabet. <laughs> <clears throat> Anything else to add? Final wishes for our Don't next movie. Don't go to Morocco be, and get yeah. stuck in Ishtar. For our next movie to be better. Oh, it will be. It's a classic. It's a bona fide classic. I have a feeling it will be. Here's a clip. Maybe it's not so much swearing off all girls, but swearing off a certain kind of girl. Meaning? 
Meaning next time, maybe you should pick a girl with a little more substance. You know, a girl who's smart and is driven and has ambition. You know, like Paris. Are you serious? Yeah, why not? Paris is smart and cute and interesting, and yeah, she does bring her own unique set of baggage into the mix. <laughs> a matching set. But she likes you. She's crazy about you. She thinks you're amazing. You want me to date Paris? Just think about it. <sighs> me and Paris. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a wonderful friendship. Who's Louis? Just think. <laughs>